there are few names as big on the PI scene as John Nockazel and Mike Morse. Together, they've catapulted Mike Morse's law firm to the top of its game as Michigan's biggest PI firm, and they're not showing any sign of slowing down. We got a taste of the integrator side of the famous visionary integrator duo a few weeks ago when we spoke to John, and I'd be doing you a disservice if I didn't complete the picture. A visionary is someone who has 100 ideas a day, and that has been me my entire life. I I never knew what to do with them. Uh, Most of them didn't come true uh, because I didn't have my John Knockhazel. Today, we meet the legendary Mike Morse, the best-known visionary in law that fights fire with straight fire. We hear how Mike's book and methodology, Fireproof, lit a fire under a whole generation of attorneys, why you got to take marketing risk to win big, and how Mike weeds out strengths and weaknesses in himself and his prospective hires. That's coming up on the Rankings Podcast, the show where founders, entrepreneurs, and elite personal injury attorneys share their inspiring stories about what they did to get to the top and what keeps them there. I'm Chris Dreyer. Stay with us. Mike Morse got his JD in law from the University of Detroit and started working at a firm before founding his own practice in 1995 but it would be long before he found himself back in the classroom, this time on the other side of the desk. They called me, they they were in need of a uh, professor to teach someone how to, to teach the students how to run a law firm. They saw what I was doing, they saw my success. And I said, yes, and I tried it for a few years. It was fun going back to the old school and meeting some students and I got some really great feedback. And I only did it for a few years, but it was great. Did they give you kind of the topic that they said, hey, we're, you're going to do law practice management? Yeah, that was kind of, yeah, what else? Do, I wasn't going to teach uh, contract law or torts. I mean, I could teach torts, I guess, or property is what I was going to say. Yeah, you know, I, how to run a law firm. I think, you know, that's another reason why I wrote the book that I wrote was to, to teach law students and lawyers how to run a practice. So that was actually my first foray into really teaching and when we wrote the book, it was to teach more. And in a funny side note, Chris, I haven't, I don't know if I've ever told anybody this, but when, when my publisher said, what's one, what's a goal for this book? Like if in 10 years, what's one thing that you wish or hope that happens? It was that every law student, this is a mandatory book for them to read. And I don't, it hasn't happened yet. I don't know if it ever will, but, but I really wish somebody in law school would have given me this book or soon after law school would have given me the book fireproof because it just would have taken away so much guesswork. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I hear a lot of our guests, they talk about, you know, you go to law school to learn how to practice law, but they don't teach you how to run a business, which is what a law firm really is. Yeah. It's almost becoming cliche that, that what they don't teach you in law school and, and they really don't teach you how to market, how to advertise, how to run a business, how to hire and fire, how to look at data. They don't even mention data. You need a whole almost a year of an MBA or a year of something else to, to accompany it, uh, unless you're going to just work for somebody and work in somebody else's right. law firm where they have the grief. But if you ever want to you know, run your own place, um, hang your own shingle, you definitely need this knowledge. Absolutely. And, and, you know, we, so we had John uh, Nockazel on previously, uh, your, your COO, your, your integrator, and, you know, he's, he's very the, the process, the get down and dirty with the data and things like that. And you're an ideas guy who 
basically you're innovating, you're, you're trying new things. So what elements do you, do you think make a visionary and not just someone with a few good ideas? A visionary is someone who has, you know, a hundred ideas a day. That has been me my entire life. I, I never knew what to do with them. Uh, most of them didn't come true uh, because I didn't have my John Knock Hazel. And, you know, a visionary's mind is just running. A visionary doesn't want to read the nitty gritty contracts. A visionary can't read an email more than a few sentences. A visionary, I mean, I can go on and on and tell you about all my flaws. You know, a true visionary is it's an entrepreneur and it's, you know, 1% of the population or less. They're, they're few and far between. But it's really, really important to identify and know yourself and know if you're that visionary because it'll change your life. For the first 13 years of running my law practice, before I met Gina Wickman, I did not know I was a visionary. I had never heard that term. I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I mean, maybe if we would have had a conversation, I could have figured it out, but I didn't really know. And once he, you know, drew out the definition and, and, and made me understand what a visionary was and what an integrator was, I realized clearly where my lane was and what I wasn't good at. And I was still doing the integrator stuff. I was doing both. 99% of the lawyers are doing both, right? And in my practice and my business didn't explode until I understood the difference and I started acting in my lane. And then I hired John to act in his lane as the integrator. So neither one is more important than the other, which is really, really important, Chris. It's just, it's just what are you? Are you one or the other? You can't be both and do it really well. So that's, that's really the importance of that discussion, in my opinion. And for every lawyer, it's important to know uh, which one they are. I couldn't agree more, Michael. And, and one thing that I'll say when I, I, I did read your book and it was phenomenal. And one, one thing that, that triggered me is for our business, we had self-implemented EOS. And I thought, you know, we're, we're working maybe at 80%, you know, EOS and traction. So we went out and hired a certified EOS implementer and it was it was really a game changer to have that non-biased third party to kind of chair the meetings. And in your book, you talk about advocating for finding people who can compensate on your own weaknesses and where it might be someone else's strength. So is there a method or exercise owners can use to help them identify what their strengths and weaknesses are? So we spent a lot of time in the book talking about different type of tests, whether they're psychological-based tests or just memory tests or otherwise. I mean, they're, they're, I've used them for well more than 13 years before I met Gino. Uh, my father-in-law was a big proponent of it. Um, when I was married, my wife and I took the tests, and this is 20-plus years ago. They're really illuminating, and it's, it's shocking how 50 questions or 75 questions can really dial in and tell you who you are. But you won't know that until you take it yourself. So I highly recommend everybody do them themselves, and I've done them all. Once you like read the test and the data that comes out of it, you'll realize, wow, that's me. How do those innocuous questions about weird stuff, how do they get to know deep inside my heart, deep inside my brain? And it's really a fascinating thing. And then you realize, how could I ever hire another person without giving them this test? Because the questions are innocuous. I don't have a better word for that. You give people the test, and you can read about them. And it, you can't really, the tests are so smart that you can't scam them. You can't fake them out. If you lie, they know. 
because they ask it in so many different ways and you're, most people aren't smart enough to cheat them. And so what you're left with is a great summary of who the person is. We make sure that every potential employee takes the test from the mailroom to the you know, senior executive, every lawyer, secretary, and everybody in between. And we read them before the interviews and we ask questions off of them. And it's just another tool in our arsenal to make sure that we're not making a hiring decision because hiring decisions are costly. They're exhausting. Anything that I can do to avoid it, I do. And the test costs a lot of money. I don't even know what we pay per person. I mean, it's thousands of dollars, but in my opinion, it's the best money we spend. And, you know, I'm a huge advocate for it. One of the biggest costs for a business is, is keeping your people, you know, the cost of turnover and hiring. And so I was really curious if a firm wants to implement this, at what phase do you recommend implementing the personality test? Is it is it right when you get the resume, you go through them and then boom, you hit a personality test? Or is it after maybe a quick hitter interview just to make sure they're the, you know, that 15 minute first interview just to make sure they're, they meet the qualifications or at what so, point do you implement it? My first hire took a test. And it's weird, I've never talked about this on a, on a podcast or webinar, but, but that's the truth and it's interesting. So it doesn't matter the size of your firm, you should test. When I was smaller, I would definitely interview somebody first. And if I liked them, I'd go through the expense, right? As I now have 150 employees in a full HR department, they are doing tests before the interviews. We have it dialed in I mean, we have packages that we pay for. So we pay a yearly fee and we get unlimited tests for a lot of these things because we're doing dozens and dozens and dozens a year. For the solo who has to pay per test, you know, you got to make a business decision. But it's not bad to interview somebody. But the interviews, you know, I've been faked out in interviews. I've been faked out. I've had people pull the wool over my eyes and, and they come in and they suck. And they, and they don't, you know, all the stuff they represented were, was bullshit. It's very hard to bullshit on these tests. I'd rather do testing and not interview. Truly, you're not going to do that, you know, because the interview is important. And if people won't test, by the way, Chris, I won't hire them. If they say, you know what, here are my grades. Here's my track record. I'm not taking your goddamn tests. I don't hire them. Yeah. And, and I'm sure they, they don't take the test. They don't fit with their values anyway. So boom, they're gone. What are they afraid of? If they're afraid. Right of me looking inside of them to know who they truly are, that's not a person who would fit our culture. That makes sense. You know, so in your book, you're, the goal of Fireproof, the philosophy is running your law firm like a business so you can focus on doing what you do best. And so just kind of a broad question here, you know, what's the main thing lawyers tend to do wrong when they start their own practice? What do you think they should prioritize and focus on when they begin to go out on their own? It's a great question. You know, you mentioned the book Fireproof. You know, chapter one, know thyself, right? If you know who you are early on, if you know if you're the visionary type or the integrator type, you will be able to focus on that stuff early as opposed to 13 years later when I finally couldn't, I was hitting the ceiling and I couldn't move on and grow. So it took me 13 years to understand that concept. I would have loved to have had that concept on day one. Even if I had to be the integrator and visionary for a short period of time, it wouldn't have been 13 years. 
right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I would have liked to have known earlier on, you know, who I was. So if you're going to hang up a shingle, I would, you know, okay, I can't afford an integrator right now, but I know that that's not, I'm not going to do that for long. And my next hire is going to have the attributes and, and the characteristics of the things that I don't love to do. And I'm not great at, I didn't do that for 13 years. And I think my, my trajectory would have been different had I known that. So that's, that's the thing that, that hops out at me in my brain. When you ask that question, you know, know thyself. Yeah, I think it's really important. I was I was listening to a Bigger Pockets podcast. I'm not sure if you listened to that before. It's a real estate podcast, and they had Dan Sullivan on, and it said focus on who, not how. Like who should be doing this task? And when you know yourself, then you can maybe go out hire a project manager if you can't afford necessarily the full integrator, the full package of of process guy. Yeah, interesting. You know, you know, I, I got a couple questions that I'm going to throw at you here that that are probably going to be unique too. So, you know, since the book has been out since June, are there any additional chapters that you wish you'd added or would like to add now? Wow. Well, I had a couple <laughs> people have suggested that I that I have a follow up. One was on branding, personal branding, and that they think that I have a decent uh, personal brand and that I manage it well and and I could do a whole book you know it was a podcast and we went off on a branding tangent and uh he liked what I had to say he said that's your next book let's go with that chapter the other I mean when we wrote the book we weren't writing the book to talk about fireproof coaching we we didn't have fireproof coaching it wasn't a thing it wasn't a concept it wasn't a vision and since the book came out in June my phone and email has blown up and we now have 15 fireproof law firms across the country Incredible. that we are coaching and taking them through the fireproof model. And it's probably a chapter that we would have put in had we known it was a need. It's a lot of fun. Um, I've carved off time as John Acaso has carved off time to work with law firms and help them with build their jumbotron and help them with their hiring process and, you know, help them with everything under the sun. And it's been really rewarding to see the, the fast growth, to see um, the appreciation and, and all that. It's just been great. Awesome to hear how Mike and his partner John have been able to springboard off the success of Fireproof into a whole new venture. The way Mike tells it, it's just kind of happened. I know from my conversation with John that there is a heck of a lot of planning and projection that goes into everything they do. With that in mind, I wanted to hear Mike's opinion about what I find to be one of the trickiest aspects of running a business, the long-term planning aspect, that those one, three, five, and 10-year goals. I've never had a 10-year goal. 50% of the entrepreneurs who work in the EOS system don't have 10-year goals. And as a true visionary, our brains don't work that way. When Gino first introduced it to me, I'm like, nope, I can't think 10 years out. I can barely think tomorrow. Even though I'm a visionary, I, I can think tomorrow, right? So what we do is we have three-year goals, one-year goals. And that works for us. And we update them every January and it's shorter, it's easier bites. And even the three-year goal is a little bit 
you know, it's kind of like a BHAG, right? It's just kind of hanging out there. But the one-year goal to me is the, the, the most important. For 13 years in a row, we've hit it uh, to the penny, basically, except for COVID 2020, which we're going to come off. We don't know the exact number, but we're going to be less than 10% off, which is a good thing. Shockingly, I could, I would have guessed 50% off, but John Knockhazel does such an amazing job with forecasting and predicting that uh, he had it dialed in. It's a game changer that, that every business in America, especially law firms, have the ability, if you have the right data, to predict what you're going to earn, what the firm will bring in at the end of the year. And he's proven it time and time again. And it's just, it's a game changer. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's funny when, when I go on a vacation or something, I, I come back and I've got a million ideas and my team's like, oh, shit, you know, Chris went on vacation. You know, <laughs> So in that 10 year, even for myself, I'm like, you know, that seems pretty out there because I've got all these shiny objects floating around. But, uh, you know, one of the things I really liked in your guys's book was how John and, and yourself tied your goals into year to date numbers and year to date actual uh, in addition to those weekly uh, leading indicators, which I thought was incredibly smart. In fact, I think I took a picture on my phone and even said, like, we need to do this as well in terms of like those revenue targets and things like that. So sw- switching over to the marketing side, there's so many avenues of marketing, social media, traditional, on the ground, print, billboard, TV, vanity numbers. And I noticed, you know, you, you've got uh, 855 Mike Wins. You know, first of all, is that a is that a Paul Faust, a ring boost special? I didn't know Paul back then, but uh, Paul's a good friend. I recommend everybody get their vanity numbers from Paul. But this was just a whim. I was in Mexico with some friends, and we came up with it. And the guy who I was with actually had connections, got me the number. I'm like, okay, let's do it. And uh, it's been my number for uh, since about 2011, and um, it's worked for me. Yeah, and you utilize it really well. I mean, it's like cohesive across all your marketing initiatives. You know, speaking of some of those marketing methods, you know, 80-20, big Pareto, big picture, what are some of the marketing and initiatives you think personal injury law firms should be investing in today? Well, of course, you know, digital. I, I was just uh, just on a webinar and they did a survey to the people and, you know, that's where people are putting their money. I think it was 1% were on TV. So that's really uh, digital and, and PPC and the SEO, of course, and the good work that you do. But, you know, I think social media, you know, you can't get away with it. I don't know a law firm that doesn't have it. I know a lot of law firms who do it badly and who don't get it and don't try to be a little bit different. I mean, so many people aren't on TV. I don't think, you know, we could talk a lot about TV, of course, but but taking the concepts that we talk about, you know, the Cherry Garcia concept over vanilla and applying those to what you do, applying those to social media, I think is just as important. I mean, it's really doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing and being bold and taking risks and being funny and, and self-deprecating and bringing in your pets or your mom or your kids or whatever makes you different and unique. That's what people want to see. I mean, if you look at my best posts, it's not the ones of me saying, I'm going to fight for you and win, call me, right? right? It's the ones, to, uh, I, was in, uh, I was on an island with my daughters a few days ago and my social media person said, it's National Ice Cream Day. 
get me a picture with you and your kids eating ice cream. And I don't eat a ton of ice cream, but we like ice cream once in a while. And okay, so we had these little Haagen-Dazs cups and we took a goofy picture and I my tongue's hanging out. It's like, ah. And, and it's hundreds and hundreds of comments and shares and likes. And it was like, that's what people care about. That's what you and I care about when we're trolling the uh, social media. And so many law firms don't get it. And they just put up this boring shit that's never going to do anything for them. And so it's just taking risks and being different. And, and that's where people should, whatever they do, that's how they should do it is be different. So a couple things on TV, and I don't want to focus too much here, but first you, you mentioned being unique and it makes me think of like Jim Adler and the hammer, you know, and now there's hammers in every state and city. And, and now they're kind of common. They're, they don't stand out as much. The other thing though is, do you think the TV play, and I'm a digital guy, and I think most of the digital guys try to ostracize the other, talk smack about the other marketing initiatives, but the thing I like about it is because I could be watching cable and see an advertisement four times in the same day. You know, if I'm watching, do you think that just recurring where they might see it multiple times in the same day has an effect? Why do you think still, even though Netflix and all these other streaming services out there, TV is still effective? Good question. Well, I think it's, listen, I think it's going to become less and less effective every year. And listen, I'm not a huge TV watcher, Chris, so I'm not a great person to ask that question to. But my phones are ringing. People are watching daytime TV. I mean, the networks and the cable channels, they're not going away. And people are still watching. And it's still a popular medium, even though it's not for you and I. A lot of people who need lawyers are watching TV and the ones who aren't, you know, they're going to see your ad on a billboard or they're going to see it uh, on digital. I think, and there's different audiences. I mean, you and me are seeing it on, on digital and billboards, but we're not seeing it on the TV. Right. The people who are sitting home all day watching TV may not be seeing it on digital or on the billboards. So you've got to kind of be everywhere, which is not easy. Yeah. That, that omnipresent, it makes me think, you know, like the motorcycle people that niche down into motorcycles where they're, they're hanging out, they're going to those festivals, they're, they're riding motorcycles themselves, and they do really well there because they're in that community, that group. Switching over to personal here. So, you know, in the past, you've spoken about your father was a personal injury attorney and how that played, you know, in your career choice. And, and now you have three daughters. Do you think one of them is going to follow in your footsteps? You know, would you like them to? Well, two of them are in college. We have definitely had the law school conversation. I would love one of them to come over and take over the firm. And, but, you know, I, I, I'm going to leave it up to them. You know, they're looking at social work and education and they want to make this world a better place. They're amazing kids. And I don't know. I kind of hope so because, you know, I have so much fun and I have a great firm and I'd love to be able to put it in the hands of somebody that, you know, I trust and love but I, I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for them. So uh, stay tuned. Sounds good. Sounds good. And then we got a closing segment here. It's our three for three. It's just, you know, three questions, a quick hitter, three questions in three minutes. And I'll just start. And we've talked about this a lot. But number one, what is your top law firm marketing tip? Be different. Cherry Garcia over vanilla. Take some risks. Don't be like the terrible competitors in your market. 
do something that's going to make people smile and save your ad and share your ad, bring your mom into the commercial, bring your dog into the commercial, bring your kids into the commercial, do something different. Love it. Which entrepreneur do you admire the most? I guess I'm going to go with Elon Musk because I own a couple Teslas and I love Tesla. You know, I think he's a pretty cool guy, built a great company, built some great cars. He definitely know. embodies the Cherry Garcia and the, or the, oh, yeah. and the, uh, the contrarian marketer. Absolutely. And then I, I got a curveball here. I had to pin something to this for you. What book has had the biggest impact on your business besides anything traction related? I'm going to go with Good to Great uh, by Jim Collins. I, that's a long time ago, but I remember it. It just solidified a lot of the things that I did. It taught me a lot about being a leader and about the type of people I want and about who I wanted to become. We were a good company. I read the book and I think we became a great company. And I think that's a must read for anybody trying to run a law firm. Consider it added to the list. Mike is one of the most esteemed PI attorneys around and for good reason. He has one of those personalities that seems to inspire creativity in other people, which no doubt passes on to the rest of his team. Couple that with the way he treats his firm as a business and his powerful business partnership with John Nockazel, and it seems like there's no limit to what he can achieve. You've been listening to the Rankings Podcast. I'm Chris Stryer. A huge thanks to Mike Morris for joining us this week. And you can find more info, as always, in the show notes. And we want to hear from you. What are you going to do to take your marketing from plain old vanilla to Cherry Garcia? Drop us a review and let us know. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.